They've been spiking the purple Kool-Aid since October of 2012. And who wants to listen to that? Here are your hosts, Grant Tommy and Doug Rosselo. Welcome to the Imanio Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Tommy, and again, no Doug Rosselo this go-around because we are continuing on with our previews for the upcoming opponent for the Kansas State Wildcats, and of course, it is Farmageddon Week and the Iowa State Cyclones up in Ames, and to help me preview the Iowa State Cyclones, my guest is a former walk-on turned scholarship running back, three-time academic all, all Big 12 for the Cyclones from 2009 to 2013. Probably most known for delivering that final dagger in double overtime to the Brandon Whedon-led number two Oklahoma State Cowboys back in 2011. But these days, you can find him as an insider analyst for the Des Moines Register, as well as radio spots on 1460 KXNO and Des Moines Channel 5. So with no further ado, Jeff Woody, welcome to the show. Uh, hey, uh, I'm, I appreciate that you guys also call it Farmageddon. It, it, it sounds, it, it makes it seem way less like one-sided, where like we came up with it. It's like a nickname that you call your friend that you eat up so your friend doesn't actually like. And then you're like, hey, can you can knock it off. So I'm, I appreciate you guys actually. Also, you call it Farmageddon. So uh, it's dead. It'll work. Well, as my memory serves me, I think I think it was born out of, you know, when Mizzou and KU used to play in Arrowhead, they called it Armageddon for whatever reason. And then I think some Kansas City journalist was trying to be, like, trying to make it derogatory and came up with Farmageddon. But then the K-State and Iowa State fan bases just latched onto it and just like, yeah, nope, yeah, you know right. what? Let's do it. <laughs> and I think I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll act, we'll embrace it, man. Yeah, and I I know I've seen on on the internet people keep uh, proposing different trophy ideas. I think they should take a Case International and a Gleaner Combine and cut them in half and fuse them together as the trophy. So you have a silver on one side and a, and a crimson uh, part of the other side of the trophy. But I don't think anybody's quite bought into that yet. Yeah, I, yeah we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, well, Jeff, I wanted to start with the... Um, obviously, I've got great opportunity in front of me to talk to a former Cyclone player, and so I think you're obviously going to bring such a unique perspective to uh, to this show, and especially now that you're you're far enough away from your college career where you get to play, well, you're, first off, you're an analyst for the Des Moines Register, but you're also, you get to put on the the fan hat as well, so I think you're going to have a pretty unique perspective when, when I ask, you know, when we talk about um, Matt Campbell now still fairly early into his tenure up in Ames. I guess the question I have for you is, um, since you come from a different era of Cyclone football, what is what is your impression of the overall culture that uh, Matt Campbell's bringing to to the Iowa State program? Uh, it's completely different. Completely different. And the, the way that I would kind of encompass this is when you... Like, it's like the difference between a manual and an automatic transmission card. Like, when something is translated so completely over that it's almost hard to figure 
figure out why it's so different until you look at this like that one main thing. So what like it's it's much more modern, it's much more it's much more streamlined, it's much more consistent. Um, there's so much trust top to bottom through from coach to staff, staff to player, player to staff, player to player. I mean everybody is bought into the fact that they can hang with everybody. And then on top of that, there has kind of been a proof in the pudding situation. And um, Campbell is, even his first year, there are a few, because um, last year, obviously, they won the, won the Liberty Bowl. They you know, actually finished eight wins in the season. They were good. And the year before that was his first year. And even though, the, I think it was a three-win season, if I remember correctly, but the back seven, six, seven games of that, the, the biggest margin of defeat was ten points. And then the next year they win eight games. And then this year is this year. And they're finally showing results to the guys to say, look, this is what we're talking about. And so the culture has changed, and now they've gotten results to enact that change or to, to kind of enforce that change, and which kind of further drives that cycle being like, of trust of, look, we know what we're doing. And then on top of that, you've got some actual, like, the recruiting has been terrific, and they got some dudes here. I mean, by not by accident, they have got some dudes, and I think you'll, you'll probably get into it more. But with the culture change, you now have you now infuse talent into that, and you've got a pretty you've got a, a very good recipe for success. Well, yeah, you talk about that culture change um, in, in one of the most evident ones. It's not to say that Paul Rhodes didn't appreciate a good defense, but it's clearly an emphasis for Matt Campbell. And when you start to take a break down the Cyclones statistically, um, they're averaging almost three sacks a game, which is good enough for third in the conference. Uh, they're number one in the conference at stopping the run. Uh, and so it's kind of it kind of starts up front behind defensive lineman ja- Jaquan Bailey. Um, but But... What I'm curious to know is just just how good is that Cyclone front seven in this defense? Um, it is as good as Iowa State probably ever had. And to start, um, you mentioned Bailey, and Bailey's a, a good player. Don't get me wrong by any sense. But the dude in that front seven is Ray Lima. It is the nose tackle. He's, and Iowa State generally speaking plays a three-down front. Every once in a while, they'll drop into a four. Uh, but 90% of their plays come out of three-down front. And so the nose guard is playing head up on the center. And Ray Lima, number 76, the team captain, is actually a junior, um, is an absolute monster of a human. And he's a terrific football player. And so when you have a really good nose tackle, that lets your linebackers, because there is, if you do, I mean, if you do want to have a little bit of fun, watch just that. Watch number 76. There is no way that you can single block number 76. So you're going to have to send another guy to him. Well, if you're sending another guy to him and you can't get off the linebacker, that leaves the linebackers, which are actually a little inexperienced. Um, I, I would, I'll say that. A couple of them are inexperienced. But um, it lets them run around a lot freer to make more big plays. So everything starts with 76 in the middle and then the rest of the defensive line is now talented enough, like with Bailey, um, like with a guy named Matt Leo who's filling in for injured Eddie Wazirike. Um Eddie Wazirike is a freak in himself, too. Um, but you have now depth to go along with this. And the, the, the other thing that this defense will do um, 
the, the defensive line almost always rotates for almost every team. But this defense will rotate guys at every single position. You're Mike linebacker. You're going to see three different guys as a Mike linebacker. You're going to see two different, two at least two different guys as a Will inside linebacker. You're going to see two different guys for sure as a Sam linebacker. You have, we have five safeties that will play three positions, and then as far as cornerback is concerned, there are like four corners that will end up playing a two cornerback position. So they just rotate everybody, and they finally got depth so that when it comes fourth quarter and you need to stop the run, you're fresh because your middle linebacker is only taking. 37 snaps, whereas in other teams who don't have that same depth or that same rotation, that linebacker's taken 71 against the Big 12 offense. So the depth that they have is just as important as the talent that they have. Yeah, depth is certainly one of those things that you don't appreciate until you it's obvious it's missing and you know part of what made the Cyclones maybe a little slow out of the gates with that, that, that rough start um, at the beginning of the season, well, first off, the Lightning game uh, didn't do anybody any favors. You know, you're itching, rearing to go, uh, start a season off. But um, nonetheless, the Cyclones stumbled out of the gates a little bit. But the team really seemed to turn it around and respond when Brock Purdy uh, kind of took over the reins as the signal caller. Uh, so what I what I ask you, Jeff, is um, what's the part of Brock Purdy's game that uh, – that you think maybe helps propel the Cyclone team the most? Or maybe what does the rest of the offense respond to when Brock is under center? So the way that – so I'm of the opinion that every quarterback in history has been a system quarterback. And it's either a good system or a bad system. If Peyton Manning were to, were to be asked to do what Michael Vick was asked to do, it would be a horrible fit. And he would do terrible. If Michael Vick was asked to do what Peyton Manning would do, he would be a horrible fit. But it fits well. And so what this offense is built to do is naturally, it's, so Brock Purdy is a square peg in a square hole with this offense, and that's what makes him good. And I think he is, he's also a very talented quarterback. Like one of the things, he's a true freshman, but uh, and I'm not a big recruiting guy. Um, call it my team walk on this. But with... I don't care how many stars you have. I care who else wants you. And so the guys that that the, the, the top three for Brock Purdy were Nick Saban in Alabama, Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M, and Iowa State. Those three are top three for Brock Purdy. And so he's a really talented dude. But what makes them what makes him special in this offense is the ability for him to improvise. And again, I'm not going to say this as like a full like. I'm not equating him to this player, but the, the guys in the vein that he falls into are the Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, where he can throw from the pocket, but is more comfortable breaking the pocket and making and controlling the chaos of scrambling. And so once he gets out of the pocket, letting a guy like Hakeem Butler, letting a guy like Rashawn J. Jones um, get down the field and then find them once there has been a little bit of chaos that he can manage. So that's the thing that has been the best for him. And I think um, I'll say this from uh, like as a as honest as I can, the offensive line is okay. And I don't mean that as saying that they're bad, but they're definitely not great. And the two players that benefit that make them look the best are David Montgomery and Brock Turney because they have enough improvisation skills that when there is a miss or uh, as they get beat, 
those two guys are so good at creating when nothing's there that the offense can quit. And so they kind of exist their best in fast-paced, almost chaotic offense when the play breaks down and David Montgomery has one guy to beat in, you know, 40 yards, he's going to make that guy miss. Or Brock Purdy, there is, you know, they're, they're bringing a ton of pressure. He gets to throw a quick slant when there's just a, a mess on the field. So you brought up David Montgomery, and that's exactly where I was going to go next. I, of course, I, I couldn't have a former Cyclone running back on, on the show without asking about the stud running back you guys do have. You know, he's following up a 27 campaign of 1,100 yards. Uh, he's sitting at 800 as well. And if it wasn't for that Baylor incident, I'm sure he'd be closer to that century mark once again. You talked a little bit about his improvisation improvisation skills and of course that's going to help out uh, the scrambling capabilities of or or uh, complement the scrambling capabilities of Brock Purdy um, but but aside from the um, the improv that uh, David Montgomery uh, possesses what what other character trait is it that makes uh, David Montgomery such an elite uh, running back in the Big 12 he's good at everything He's just flat out. He's just good at everything, and uh, the the ability for him to make people miss and make them look stupid is absurd. Where you will very rarely ever see the first guy bring him down, ever. And then that's so that's one thing. Just from a running the ball standpoint, he's terrific at that. But in everything else, he's so balanced. Everything is. He's got speed to break away. He's got power to break tackles, but he's a phenomenal blocker. I mean, if you have uh, – Kansas State's not notoriously known for uh, blitzing a lot, at least from my experience with the, the Bill Snyder-led team. So when you have uh, – when you, but if a guy ever does come with pressure, a linebacker does ever come, Montgomery's either going to stonewall him right now or he's going to cut him and make him do a front split. He's such a good blocker. And he's a terrific pass catcher. Like, what does he do well if he doesn't do anything poorly? That's the thing that's impressive about him the most is there isn't a weakness in his game. That he is, it, it just, again, everything is completely consistent. And that's, that's the thing that's the most impressive about him. And I'm not usually one who's praised on running backs a lot, but you can't find a thing this guy's not through that. Well, the guy behind him on the depth chart, uh, and I, I may butcher this, but I'm going to do my best. Kanye. Nuwangu. Um, Nuwangu, yep. Okay, I looked up the pronunciation guide on Cyclones.com. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, he he might not get as many snaps at, at tailback as as one would like, but uh, is quite the threat in the return game. Um, he's currently fourth best in the conference in terms of total yards, but um, first in the conference uh, as it relates to the average yards per return um so what, what you know in kansas state who is usually good at special teams uh is certainly having an off year this year and especially the kickoff coverage team which has been fairly solid in the past oh three five years is is really struggling this year so what kind of a threat really is nuwangu at, at kick returner a big one it's uh what, he's, he's not quite Tyler Lockett because Tyler Lockett was the best I've ever seen do it and we had, I had to try and tackle him 
the two guys that went out on special teams that I had to tackle were one of Tyree Gill and the other one's Kareem Hunt. Those two guys were fun to break down. Uh, so Javon Austin was another one that we had to do. So I'm not saying he's those guys. But what I am saying is he's a guy that has – he's probably the fastest dude on the team. And there are a bunch of fast dudes. Um, but from an explosiveness standpoint, I, I don't remember what he was, five or six in Texas. But he's a 5'11", six-foot um, running back. He won the Texas State high jump with a jump of six wow. foot eleven, and he's like five, like the five eleven six foot. So when you look at that type of explosiveness, that's what he has. And so we, I mean, I think there's been a, at least three to five returns of forty yards or longer. Um, and if you get the ball up, in, if you get the ball up in the air, you give yourself a chance. But if it's a line drive. That dude is so fast that you will close off angles. Um, again, like, okay, Tyler Lockett is the best I've ever seen to it, so I'm not saying he's that good. But he is in the same vein where when other teams kick it to him, you genuinely ask yourself, like, what are you doing? Why? You know, like when, when Lockett was back there and you go, and someone does kick it to him, you go, uh, good job, buddy. <laughs> Well, well, I love the uh, the anecdote you gave about the um, about the high jump story. That's that uh, you know, the, there's so much about uh, track athletes. Uh, obviously, sprinters is pretty pretty obvious. But yeah, you're exactly right. The explosiveness that you'd have to have uh, as a high jumper at that size. That's I love that. That's a great story. But uh, well, Jeff, you've been really generous with your time. But uh, I'll I'll try to send you out the door here to kind of wrap things up. So um, you know, it's it's the non-original uh, last question of the podcast it always involves some sort of a prediction but um i'll also get your thoughts on if if this potentially is bill snyder's last big 12 uh game he ever coaches in uh what would you say to him and then uh yeah send us out the door with a, a score prediction so i think what i would say to uh bill snyder is everyone around the country and i can speak from us and Ames, respects the Kansas State Wildcat program because of the integrity that was brought by Bill Snyder. And I always give the same little anecdote. My favorite person to play against was also the best linebacker I ever played against, Arthur Brown. And the reason is, is they would, Arthur Brown would always be so complimentary and would say like, hey, great job, man, keep coming. Like, and, and, encouraging talk on the field. And that's how the rest of the Kansas State team always operated around us because they would always treat the other opponent, or they would treat the opponent with respect and consideration. And I think that is, that comes directly down from Bill Snyder. So if it is his last one, if your legacy owner is leaving, uh, or not Earth, the legacy as a profession, is leaving a place, a more character-filled situation than when you started, I think you lived and lived a pretty good life and worked a pretty darn good job. So I think that's what I would say to Bill Snyder. And the the score prediction for me is really weird because the way that Iowa State runs their defense is I dare you to run another play. And it's sort of a – if you can live in boring, you can be successful against this team because you can – you're going to be able to get three, but it's very unlikely you get eight. So if you can live with three, 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 all the way down the field, 
then eventually you can work yourself in the red zone and get points. Um, Kansas State loves boring. Like, the way they run their <laughs> offense forever has been four yards in the cloud of dust and 12ers. And so it, it seems like there is a situation that Kansas State can hang around in this game and make it really uncomfortable. But I don't know if this defense for Kansas State, outside of this one, what it seems like an aberration of last week, I don't know if the defense is going to be good enough to slow down a good and healthy Montgomery and good and healthy uh, Hakeem Butler. So I would think that this living and boring starts to kind of get pulled out if they get down by two scores. So I'm going to say that I don't know what the line is or what the you know, what the betting line is, but I would say I would say probably I, I think they break the streak, um, but it's going to be within eight to ten points. So I'll take for the sake of a score prediction. I'll do something like 28-22 in a weird game. <laughs> I would say. Well, I think that's about what you can always guarantee when these two teams get together. Some sort of weird score, weird outcome, that's for sure. The Cyclones are are well overdue. Um, I'm afraid this, this streak probably ends too myself. Um, but, Jeff, th- thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. Um, and, and I want to apologize, too. I didn't give a shout-out. The whole reason I... I was able to interview you. It was from my connections uh, with CycloneFanatic.com. <laughs> well, I was going to give C-Dub praise before I was going to give... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Chris Williams does a great job running that site up there, and um, I... I it's it's th- th- When I started this whole thing, that's what was always interesting, was just finding out which different... Uh, like who the leader in the clubhouse was for the different fan sites for each different fan base because it's not consistent. But, um, again, I just uh, just thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Oh, I was just to clarify for those listeners, I love Chris Lynn, and it's kind of an inside joke. Adam Gray is a guy who's used to work for Cycle Fanatic Networks for a uh, uh, Farm Bureau. And uh, you can't give Adam Gray any type of praise because he will run with it and hold it over your head forever. <laughs> so when you introduce that, I'm not going to give Adam Green any kudos. <laughs> he doesn't need it. It's big enough already. Well, hopefully Adam has tuned into the uh, to the podcast, but uh, whoever did tune in for it, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, it should be another good one. Farmageddon in Ames, closing out both regular seasons. That'll do it for this episode, and until next time, peace out.